My daddy's gone on, my grandpa's gone on, my great-grandpa's gone on. But they still live. You know, the, the spray is still here. Well, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of a home far away. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm Hello, everybody. You're listening to It Still Lives, the Foxfire podcast. I'm Cami Ahrens. I'm the assistant curator and host of It Still Lives. My co-host, TJ Smith, is not here today. It's just me. I'm recording remotely. We're trying to still ease back from social distancing, even though Georgia's open. So we hope that you all are doing well and staying safe, even as things start to begin to change. Um, and we hope you've been able to enjoy some nice weather and get outside and get some sunshine. So today for our bonus episode, we are actually going to be featuring some of the oral histories we've received from folks um, throughout Appalachia in response to our crowdsource initiative. So huge thanks to everybody who's submitted. We've received over 20 submissions so far and they're still coming in and it's been amazing to hear um, the different stories that everybody has had to share. So today we are featuring just a few of these. Didn't have time to feature all of them, but I'm sure there will be multiple podcasts on the subject. But the ones we'll be featuring today are actually all from students. Um, most of these are college students, but there are some high school students who share their experiences as well. And I really want to thank them for opening up and sharing their experiences with us. Um, so I am just going to let them all speak for themselves. We pulled pretty short clips from each of these just because there are so many that we wanted to share. Um, they're very diverse. Some of the students are sitting down with their siblings. Some of them are speaking by themselves. Others are interviewing family members or close friends. Um, if you are interested in contributing to our project, we are still accepting oral histories. Just a reminder that an oral history is pretty much a fancy word for an interview or a personal narrative. So it's really not anything formal. We're just asking that you sit down with a voice recorder. You're welcome to have family members or friends with you and just you know, five to 25 minutes about what you're experiencing, what you're going through. If you need some questions, we do have some suggested questions available for you on our blog. If you head over to our website on our homepage and scroll down, there's a direct link to our blog post on this project. Um, the only requirement is that you're from Appalachia and that when you email us your audio file, you also send us a release form so that we can use these oral histories uh, for outreach and for future research. This is such a crucial time in global history and we have an amazing opportunity to really come together as a community and write this history ourselves of what's happening around us. I also think it's a helpful way to cope with the situations we find ourselves in and for um, kind of understanding and navigating our experience as we go forward. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I hope it encourages you to submit your own oral history. Um, but if not, I hope you find some sort of comfort in shared experiences. And again, as always, please stay safe and take care. So hi, my name is Nindo. I'm a sophomore at UNC Chapel Hill, and I'm currently living in Cary, North Carolina as part of the social distancing. Um, I'm here with Tanisha, um, a friend of mine, uh, who has experienced quite a lot due to COVID-19. So I'll be interviewing her about her um, experiences. So Tanisha, if you go ahead and, and introduce yourself. Yeah, so I'm Tanisha. I am a sophomore also at UNC Chapel Hill. 
And right now, um, I just came back from traveling overseas. So I am currently self-isolating in an Airbnb for the next two weeks. And uh, why are you self-isolating? Yeah, so I was in Taiwan at National Taiwan University. And once the U.S. State Department issued the Global Level 4 Travel Advisory, basically saying do not travel and for all Americans to return home, I packed up all my stuff and left the country in less than 24 hours. And I traveled through Japan. I flew from uh, Taipei to Japan and then Japan into Washington, D.C. and then Washington, D.C. into Charlotte. And because I was traveling through those airports, um, I wanted to make sure that I'm not putting anybody at risk. So right as I got into the airport, I went straight to an Airbnb and have been self-isolating since just to um, make sure that I'm not putting others at risk. And, and is that like a voluntary thing that you did or was that like something that you were like mandatory, like you had to do? Oh, so the U.S. So when I arrived in D.C. at immigration, um, the immigration officer just asked me, where have you been in the past 14 days? And I said, Taiwan. Um, and then he said, welcome back. And I walked through. So there was no, can I check your temperature or even like show me proof that you've only been in Taiwan? I just walked right through um and wasn't given any specific instructions for self-quarantine yes it is recommended but it's not mandatory and there's no way for the government to even check if i'm doing it but i am whereas when i went to taiwan and which was in early march they immediately asked me upon arrival where i had been and i had to fill out a lot of forms and sign them and make sure, basically saying that i wasn't lying um, and if i was lying i could have paid a heavy fine and then for some of my friends who um, had come from other countries like Japan um, or uh, mainland China, they had to report their temperatures twice daily and give them to either like a government or another official organization. So they were tracking those people to make sure that they were recording their temperatures and healthy so that they weren't putting others at risk. But when we all came back to the U.S., um, some of the immigration officers didn't even ask my classmates where they had been in the past 14 days. So that was... Oh. kind of saddening that there was yeah. very little border control um to see at see and track who was coming into the country i guess what are some like lessons or takeaways that you you've taken from this whole experience going forward in your life i guess the biggest thing is um perspective and knowing trying to be like aware of the global citizen i guess is one important thing because um after being in Taiwan for uh, for a while, I saw how different the Taiwanese people were treating the situation. Um, in that country, everybody was wearing face masks wherever they went. If you walked into any restaurant or museum, they were, all the workers were wearing face masks. To enter any of my classroom buildings or museums, there would be a worker at the front who would take your temperature, and if your temperature was above a certain amount, you'd be denied entry. Um, and even like little kids were wearing face masks and it was just they were doing everything they could to be like to be cautious of this disease um and then coming back to the u.s i was very shocked um when i was in the dc airport of like nobody wearing face masks or anything yeah uh, or even like yes restaurants are taking more precaution but they're still not wearing face masks or things like that so i was very shocked at that 
of like how Taiwan is treating the situation versus how the U.S. is treating the situation. Ooh. Okay, my name is Elizabeth Carbone, and I am here interviewing my friend Rachel. Hi. Do you have anything else specific you want to add about how the coronavirus is affecting you or affecting the world? Hmm. I mean, honestly, I think it's just definitely an eye opener. Um. You know, I've had a lot of time to think. I think all of us have had a lot of time to think and reflect because of the virus, because the world has kind of slowed down in a way. And I think I've definitely started to look at the big picture more. Like, I don't know. I There have definitely been things that I started to think about a lot more in depth. Like, with the stay-at-home order and all the schools closing down and everything, you know, there have been several nights when all I can think about, I'm crazy, I can't help it, but it, my brain just goes to places. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there have been a lot of nights when all I can think about are, like, the bad situations that this virus is creating that people aren't thinking about. Like, all the kids who are stuck in abusive homes, and school is, like, a safe haven. And because schools are closed down and probably won't open back up until August, you know, they're having to deal with that for five months. Like, no emotional support. Right. And that's killing me because I can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And I think I think we've all just become a lot more aware of the situations that we didn't think about prior to this. And hopefully in the post-pandemic world, we'll all apply those reflections. And hopefully, you know, we'll make the world a better place. I mean... We can hope. Hopefully, hopefully some good will come out of this terrible situation or at least you know that's that's the hope hey my name's crystal i'm a first year student at the university of north carolina at chapel hill um normally i'd be sitting in my anthropology class taking notes or listening to my professor's lecture but because of the covid19 pandemic i have to stay away from campus and at home i first learned about the coronavirus late february and early march on social media and on the news i mostly saw memes and stuff and that's how i really found out about it but I didn't actually take it seriously until I saw it and heard it all over the news. And my parents were telling me to sanitize and wash my hands every five seconds. And that's when I really got scared. At first, I didn't really know what to think about it. And just like all of my friends and family, I didn't really take it seriously. But I really started taking it seriously whenever I got an email from the chancellor saying that spring break was going to be extended and that we were going to need to move out of our dorms as soon as possible. And remain away from campus. That also meant that I was going to have online classes, which really sucked because it's hard to focus at home. But I do like being home, so that's the good part. It's just I don't like being home and having to stay at home. But, I mean, I'd rather that than somebody get sick or get hurt. So around two weeks ago, I think it was, so like March 17th-ish, um, Governor Roy Cooper um, of North Carolina, he issued an executive order for all restaurants and bars to close. 
So my boyfriend's parents, who own a small restaurant or gas station in Mineral Springs, um, they were directly affected by this order. So now the restaurant and every other restaurant is only allowed to have takeout orders and deliveries. Um, so his mom's here now to talk about her experience with the pandemic um, and running a restaurant. Hello, my name is Kim Gordon. I own a Gordon's Gas and Grill in Mineral Springs, North Carolina. Um, with the with the restaurant, our num uh, our customers, the numbers have dropped by half of the customers daily that come in and order food. Everything has to be takeout. No one can sit down and eat. Um, we have uh, are to the point that we might have to let some of our staff go, and. In, in hopes in, in hopes of this will be over with in the next three to four weeks that we can have them come back in to work because of loss of money and tips. Um, our gas sales have dropped real low, which is good. Um, that does bring customers into the store because uh, gas prices are down because people are not traveling. We have to have a six-foot distance between each person. Um we sanitize every 30 minutes, bathrooms, countertops, door handles, anything that's touched, people walk in. Um, we have a plexiglass over our cashiers in front of her face so that uh, droplets of the corona will not uh, get on any of our employees and to protect them and the customer. Um, it's been a trying time. Hi, I'm Leanne, and today I'm sitting down with my parents, um, my mom, Hong. Hi, this is Hong. And my dad, Hui. Yeah, this is Hui. I, I learned the news through the... Uh, I think it's... Uh, there's a Chinese website for usually report the news for China. Mm -hmm. And they reported that um, there is a kind of a pandemic but they said it's a new novel coronavirus burst in Wuhan and people feel a little bit of panic and um, uh, they suspect it's originated from a wet market seafood seafood wet market mm -hmm. and uh, other than that uh, yeah, that that's a, a, a earlier sort of time I learned that one. How did you initially react to finding out about this? I um, cause I worry about my my family in China, so I text them, so ask them to be careful. Uh, there might be some like, um, like the the virus might be spread to them, and mm -hmm. the, ask them. Mask stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I feel the same way. I I just say okay, that could be a local pandemic, and um, I never worry about it here. I I never thought it can come to USA. I just think okay, this could be just another pandemic like the two thousand three SARS. Yeah. So if a government got involved, they can lock down the city or lock down the particular area. And so the virus won't spread wildly. Yeah. 
in the upcoming months, how do you think the virus will impact America, the world, or your community in general? Um, for me, personally, I think that, especially like for corporations and because I work under one, they're going to not immediately return to the way they had been working before the pandemic. They're going to realize who can, like, what is the bare minimum they can work with in terms of employment or um, resources, and they're going to shift their new business model to reflect on what happened in such an emergency situation. And I think maybe for you guys' jobs too, um, because you're both still working remotely, the company may realize that it might be easier and cheaper, more efficient to have people just work remotely instead of having to go into the building. And um, another thing I would be, I would expect the virus to impact um, like the country is that there's already, like right now, there's hate crimes happening against anybody who looks even remotely Asian. Um, there have been instances of even like teenagers just walking down the street in I like I think it was New York City and he got attacked by multiple people and was sent to the hospital before he died. So that's something I'm scared of because of what has happened with the virus. I I, I have a little bit different thought about this one. I feel that um uh actually human beings always fight against the virus. And this is a long story. We have that one every one year or every 10 years, every 20 years. And uh, I don't know who is going to win eventually. I guess virus eventually will win over human being. Um, but given the now, the current, uh, the flattening global village view, globalization of the um, economy, and actually the not just the human being take advantage of this kind of uh, change virus also take advantage of this change like uh, we cannot imagine how fast the virus spreaded and maybe at the very beginning we did not pay attention to it but uh, even we started to lock down the country city but the virus still spread very fast so I think uh, we got to learn some lessons. And along with this one, you can see that um, the medical equipment, uh, mask or gloves or whatever, and we suddenly we are short of it and we rely on China to provide this one. And imagine if two countries are in the war status and they cut off all those resources, you are in big trouble, mm -hmm. right? They don't need, you need nuclear to destroy you. They use virus that can easily destroy you not destroy your number of people, they destroy your lifestyle, how do you live, how do you work. Your economy. And yeah, the economy, you can see that uh, we can feel that uh, we are so weak, not just in person, but also as a society, as a community. It's uh, when, when, when there is no order, people not consume, and very few of them will feel pain immediately. So you lose your job and you cannot pay your rent, what do you do? And that is directly just impacted by that uh, 
kind of small unnoticed virus. Mm -hmm. Hello, uh, my name is Brian Lee, and I'm with Davis Lee. During the first two weeks of March, um, did your opinion or feelings about the virus change? And if it did, why? Davis speaking. Yes, it changed a lot. There's like a whole paradigm shift because it was something that seemed like an outside type of force that was happening. Like we're outsiders looking in to the whole Wuhan situation. I thought it was just going to affect only China, but once it affected us around March, when we were, the, the reality of it was that we were kicked out of school, which was one of the biggest impacts that happened. And uh, yeah, my opinions did change because it, I actually took it a bit more serious. Brian speaking. Um, so with this pandemic, um, what I do worry about is, you know, um, I, I noticed in the news too, like I, I obviously I have to base a lot of things off, off over the news uh, because that is really our only source like through the internet to get this type of news. And I don't know what's true and what's not because we're not really out there. Uh, but there there has been a lot of xenophobia as well and how other people view um, people of Asian descent, um, which does, does worry me um, because it does cause a lot of racism. And I feel like there there is a problem with that. And it makes me worry myself too when going out in public now um, because I feel kind of like people don't, don't can't trust me or something. I don't know, even though I didn't, I'm not part of it. So, you know, that's, that's one thing that I do worry about, but I'm pretty sure, you know, in the future it will settle down, but certainly it is something that does give me a worry right now. Um, so other questions that I have for you, Davis, is how are you doing in school uh, right now? Are you doing okay? You know, doing everything based online? How are you feeling about it and how do you like it? I'm Davis speaking. Um, for school, you know, I'm doing pretty bad. I'm just doing the bare minimum. Uh, it's really hard if you're not in an academic environment. It kind of, it's like going to the gym. You go to the gym to be in that environment. Working out at home is really hard if you don't got a gym. So that's the type of thing I'm going through, just barely making it, considering using pass-fail, but hopefully not. Brian speaking. Uh, yeah, school has been, for me, very difficult doing it online because uh, of the environment, really. The environment has been very not not motivating because when you're at home, you have people talking and telling you to do things, and that kind of really gets your mind off of things a lot so it's been hard for me in that aspect i'm not i'm not performing as well as i want to that's for sure for this semester um but i'm, I'm glad that the school system just do understand um, that this is a pandemic and then students do need help um within this semester here we go all right i'm neil perez tracy perez <laughs> And Joseph Perez. Okay, so I'm Tracy Perez, and I, I'm the mother here of these two. And I am an English professor at Queen's University here in Charlotte. And we um, started talking about the coronavirus uh, after we got back from spring break. My spring break was a week before 
um, these two guys, and I had gone back to work. Um, there were students coming back from overseas who were being quarantined, and there was a great deal of concern about um, what we were going to do. And then that week, by the end of that week, we also ended up uh, canceling our ground courses and going strictly online for the rest of the semester. And we had to um, sort of uh, quickly and immediately um, uh, convert our classes from ground courses to online instruction. As a teacher, how is that mother adjusting? This is the hardest I've worked in my life, or at least since grad school. I, I, this is, I have students all around the world, and I get on to um, Zoom conferences, video conferences with them um, at all hours, um, and I know it's tough for them as well. It's been, some students are having a really uh, difficult transition to online learning because not all students have the same access uh, to technology and uh, that, well, that we have here. Fortunately, my sons have uh, seemed to have not had, or I hope they haven't had anyway, any difficulties. Uh, but I know students that I have who, who have definitely had uh, difficulties transitioning because of technology in their in their homes where they um, have have retreated. Joe, do you have anything to say about uh, um, graduation being postponed and all that because you're a senior? Yeah, um, I guess it was, it was. I mean, obviously a little upsetting, but you have, you understand, of course, that having a graduation at a time like this would just be an idiotic decision, but. Um, they, they, uh, most schools haven't announced or if they're like, I guess they're going to have the spring classes walk with the fall class or something, but South Carolina is actually doing, we're having a commencement ceremony in beginning of August, which obviously that's still not set in stone, I'm sure, depending on what's going on in the world at that point. But, uh, hopefully, I mean, hopefully I get the chance to go down there, be cool. But if not, I mean, it's obviously... Not what you would expect from this time, but or this time in your life, but um, with the conditions of the world, it's just the way it has to be, and I'm not, I'm not too too upset about it. I mean, you understand, obviously. Uh, but I just wanted to add that my grandmother, these guys' great grandmother, survived the Spanish flu of 1918 in rural North Carolina. And that affected her, impacted her, her entire life. I understand a lot more about her um, and the way that she was, um, after knowing what we're going through now, why we, she was such a germaphobe, why uh, she was always sterilizing her dishes and making us wash our hands all the time. It makes so much sense to me now. Um, but again, she, uh, you know, she and her whole family did make it through the, the flu of 1918, uh, in rural North Carolina, and um, but I, I think that seeing how she was for you know her entire life, ninety eight years, um, I think it will be interesting to see how this influences people, probably years and years from now that we may not even um, understand or be aware of until you know uh, we have the perspective of time passing. Hey, my name's Dalton Kaiser. And my name's Michaela Broman. I'm Dalton Kaiser's girlfriend. 
uh, I would say moving on to the next question. Uh, describe any event that uh, you witnessed uh, that captured your your or your community's response to the virus. Um, can you think of any, Michaela? Um, one, uh, this kind of goes back to school as well. Uh, it's definitely very hard due to social distancing. So, um, a lot of classes and, uh, for high schools and colleges are using Zoom, which is a application for video chat with multiple parties. So, um, my history teacher held a Zoom meeting at uh, nine o'clock a couple weeks ago, and she was um, holding the meeting for us to ask questions if we need because she posted the notes online, and um, none of us had questions, but we were all there, and she's like, so what do you hope to get out of this Zoom meeting? And one of my friends responded to her social interaction, so that kind of shows how um, all these restrictions are even... even um, affecting our uh, ability to converse with peers or um, school officials or anyone who we may need to need or want to talk to. So that um, really made me realize how um, isolated that it's making us and it really can um, take a toll on our mental health and the health of our society. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. I say um today um is actually uh, an exceptional day uh for a prime example because um attending Virginia Tech I know today is the day of remembrance. Um so this day April sixteenth, uh, two thousand seven, uh there was a shooting that happened at Virginia Tech and it's probably uh declared one of the worst days in Virginia Tech, let alone Virginia's history. But um thirteen people passed away today. And so um each year following this day Usually, Virginia Tech holds a marathon or we run for the people who lost their lives or either or either were injured um during this experience. however, um usually when we run, we're all together in a group, you know, and we're like showing that like your lives will still are still remembered to this day. However, we can't really do it. our communities like uh like the one because like like our communities can't really express like their remembrance you know because like social distancing you can only have 10 or less people in one location so i would say my communities our community's uh response to this is you know we're still going to get we're still going to gather and we're still going to remember this like today but we're not we can even though we can't gather physically we can still gather with uh technologically uh through like the usage of phones and computers facetime and uh, like michaela said zoom uh so i know um my or my community and virginia tech's response to this was they actually created an app and it's um to log your run and so uh you log your run and you take a video of like how you feel what you have to say about this and who you're dedicating it to and it's like it's still we have the close knit community that we always have here in Southwest Virginia, and we still remember everybody's like lives and everything that was lost during that day, and so even though there may be a virus, we're still going to get through this together, and that's really the whole definition through Corona too. They may it, like Corona may be implementing diff um difficulties like to our society, but together like humanity is going to get through this and we're going to make sure like if this were to happen again it would be a completely different scenario and it would be a lot better
Hi, so my name is Emily Maxey. I am a sophomore at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, although I'm originally from Salisbury, North Carolina, about two hours away. But Boone is a really small town with a really big population and a really great community. It's very welcoming. Everybody's really nice, and it's just a lovely place to live in the Appalachian region. I love it. Um, I first learned about the coronavirus probably in February. I have a biology class, and my professor loves to tie the material into current world news. So we were talking about the immune system, and he figured he would mention the coronavirus. And he pulled up the CDC official website and talked about the U.S. response to the virus. There were only a few cases in the U.S. at the time, and he said that it was nothing to worry about. He felt like he had a good understanding of the virus and how it was being handled and that he really didn't think it would affect us at all. A few classes went by and he'd pull up the website every day and explain that the cases were slowly increasing, but he still stood by his um, stance on the virus. And in comparison to uh, illnesses like Ebola and the flu, it wasn't as serious. So I really valued his opinion. I didn't think much of it, and I really didn't let it affect my lifestyle at all. I don't think I had realized how serious it was until March. I had my spring break. I had plans to go to Arizona to see my aunt, but a foot injury prevented that from happening, and I actually ended up being pretty grateful because panic about the virus had started to spread. There are way more cases, um, significantly more, in a very short, short amount of time. And I probably would have been paranoid in an airport anyway. Soon enough, uh, spring break got extended and everything turned to online education. I was pretty surprised. I had been planning on just going back to school as normal. I didn't realize it would affect everything as much as it did. And it only continued to get worse. My grandma, she... She also lives in the Appalachian region. She lives in a small town in Virginia, and she lives alone. She doesn't have a car. She can't drive anymore. And the one person who used to visit her weekly passed away about a month ago. And so now she doesn't really have a way to get groceries. She has no interaction, which is the safest, but probably very hard on her. So my heart goes out to everyone dealing with things like that. Um, concerning the Appalachian region specifically, I'm really concerned for jobs and just, you know, vulnerable populations. I think it'll hit really hard. One thing we've been talking about in one of my classes lately is addiction and how um, the coronavirus is affecting those with opioid dependencies and those who struggle with addiction. I think it's probably really hard for people to make do or prevent withdrawals during this time. I don't think rehab centers are probably doing as well as they usually can, and people struggling with addiction are likely turning towards whatever they can get, which is really disheartening, but it's something I'm interested in and hopefully can learn more about it and the Appalachian region, the Appalachian region's response specifically.
hopefully everyone can cope and find ways to get through this healthily. Thank you for this opportunity. I really liked putting my word, putting my thoughts out there. If you don't like that, you can throw it away. I like it. <laughs>